Yo. <laughs> Time out. Exo means like outside, and they're like outside <laughs> the earth. But but are they outside of themselves? Do you have anything more than that? No, that's, that's it. Hey everybody, welcome to ExoSquad Gold, the ExoSquadcast podcast. I am Chris Mastalone. I'm Ryan Arndy. And I'm Chris Ferrandino. And on this podcast, we talk about ExoSquad. And in this case, Season 2, Episode 8, The Dragon's Rock. Um, this episode was written by Mark Edens, friend of the show. And the writing duo of Hans Beimler and Richard Manning. Uh, do those names sound familiar to you guys at all? Uh, is that how he pronounces it? Richard Manning. <laughs> Yes. Hans Beimler. Um, they don't. So these two dudes, they only wrote, they worked as a pair and they wrote two episodes of Exo Squad. This is one of them, obviously. Uh, the other thing they're really known for is that they were both co-producers on Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. That's where I know their names from. Yeah, dude. Yeah. These guys co-produced a lot in, I think, season three of TNG. They co-produced The Best of Both Worlds Part One, which is the best episode ever um it's the one where they turn picard into like a borg leader that one's really good i like all the sexy picard ones yeah oh, anytime yeah. he had his like his blouse open <laughs> yeah yeah in his in his contract it must have been stipulated it's like every 10th episode i get to take my shirt off because i'm like still like just chiseled yeah <laughs> and we'll get the most english man ever to be a frenchman he's like yep singing frere jacques with uh kids in an elevator and uh and the babes were always you'd always thought they were into they always you always thought they were into Riker, but like the mega babes were always more into picard like yeah no dude they did uh they did so they did best of both worlds part one they did survivors which if you listen to the greatest gen podcast is the one with kevin uxbridge which is an amazing episode where he gets mad that these aliens killed his wife so he wipes out their entire race from, oh yeah, that one rules. Yeah, and wait, the, is that the guy that lives for the guy that lives forever and keeps regenerating the? Yeah, and he's like, oh, that one's so good. Yeah, he's like, you know, they killed my wife, and it ends with Picard basically being like, yeah, we just have no thing in our justice system that can even like remotely comprehend this. So just, just live on your dead world. Just do your thing. Um, because he like wipes them out. Yeah, the uh, the hook knock or whatever they are. Um. They did that, and I also believe they did Menage a Troy, the one where hello, <laughs> where uh, Deanna Troy's mom, Gene uh, Roddenberry's wife, gets like basically kidnapped by a Ferengi, which is one of the worst episodes. So you give and you take. But, yeah, that was not. That's like the first Ferengi episode, though. I think so. They, apparently, they were going to be like the big villains on TNG, but everyone just kind of laughed at them, and they were like, "Well, yeah, so much They're, for that." Yeah, they're an inter yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they're 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 just too little funny. They are they are great in Deep Space Nine and in and in next generation. Yeah. Like, the rules of actualization, like, yeah, and all that. And yeah, like like a like a hut like a uh a like a culture built on uh <laughs> Welcome back to Star Trek the Next Generation Podcast. TNG cast. Yeah, there are only like a thousand of those. Yeah, there's a lot of people talking about TNG right now. But so talking about ExoSquad, like, right, General, what do you guys think of this episode? Did you like it or did you have problems with it? Uh, 
I liked it. It's incredibly dark. I I found it to be like compared to the last ones we've seen, like jarringly dark. Yeah, no, seriously. How about you, Chris? Um, yeah, I liked it. it. It seemed like a really shorthanded episode and there could have been a lot more expansive. Um, but yeah, it was, it was dark and, um, there's a lot of kind of silly things in it. Like just, just, it's all about how bad a trooper Bronski is and he should never be sent out on a mission. Yeah, no, he is like, he, he, he has a little Simbaka in him, but he is wildly irresponsible. Um, but you know, I, I will say, like, I worked on a documentary about the Bataan Death March, and this was like, I was like, wow, this is like darker than that documentary. So, yeah. Um, okay. It was, it was dark, but, and I like the kind of mystery of it. Yeah. There's, some, there's a little intrigue, little palace intrigue, if you will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I also like that it's, well, we'll get to it. So, let's take a quick, quick little meandering journey through this, <laughs> through this, uh, this desert walk towards the dragon's rock. So to, to start <laughs> a hardcore sentence right there. Yeah. It went a lot of places. Just it like was a desert walk to the dragon's rock. <laughs> I just had the tune of radar love in my head to that. And I'm like, you know, that could work. I'll do that in post for sure. Um, so like, like you said, this episode takes place right after those last two episodes, which happened at the same time. So it's a real game of Thrones situation here. Um, we start off with basically the squad reuniting on that cloaked, uh, pirate cruiser. And they're like, yep, easy mission. Just dropping off some guns in Venus. Who wants to go on this? And of course, cause it's Venus. Nera Burns makes an appearance for the first time in like 30 episodes. Yeah. We've been Nera Burns sighting. Woo. Yeah. Right. And then they're like, who else wants to volunteer? And this is when we start our love letter to Bronski. Now I need two volunteers. You've got one. I need one more. I know you're tired, but. This one should be a piece of cake. <coughs> Bronski, good. Okay, you and Nara. Way to go, Bronski. Wait a minute, I didn't say nothing. He said cake and my stomach woke up. I'll never burp again. So it's Nara and Bronski, the most unlikely of duos. What do you think of this pairing? Like, do you think they're like good? They play off of each other well or what? There's, there's not a ton to work with there. Like... Cause she's, I don't know. They're funny together, but like they don't see, like I don't, I don't see, like they don't really have a lot of like really good interactions. Um, although, although I guess later on, like Bronski does kind of take on a cool like older brother role, which like seems to be the role that he takes with like most of the squad. Yeah, it's um, you, you know, if you were, I think if you were doing this in a different format, you'd put two people together who have some inherent drama or reason to be together. Um, and for lack of a better term, they don't have, uh, chemistry really. Yeah. Like no. there's no, like, like it'd be great if there was some animus there and that they had to work out or if it was Marsala and they had some like sexual tension oh, yeah. to work yeah. out on their death march. Cause there's nothing like a death march to get out your yeah, yeah, feelings. Just, you gotta keep it but moving. You know, you know what I mean? You'd, you'd, you'd wish there was more of a, you know, a reason for them to be together other than just sort of a comic or, or hey, it'd be fun to put them together, which, and, it, which it is, but it's, you know. And and this is a naturally great way to, like, dig more into Bronski's past because he's, like, substantially older and has, like, been in the Exo Squad for a while. And there's a lot of them just, like, flying around. So like, you'd think they'd, like, do some exposition about Bronski, but they don't. Like, they just, 
They appear to travel like from from the exofleet to Venus in complete silence. Like <laughs> except for the occasional like grumbling stomach and burp. Yeah, no, it, like you you want to see him be really good at something and not just kind of like fall backwards into success. He well yeah. that's, that's the thing. He does have a couple of moments where he's good at stuff, but it's overshadowed by him being terrible at everything else. Um <laughs> he, He's like an incredible soldier. Like he's an incredible exo pilot. He's like a really gifted like sharpshooter. He just like can't function outside of like combat. Like yeah. So like yeah, they get this mission to deliver weapons to the resistance, and he's flying a glider, and Nara is in like a well, she's jump troop she, kind she, of frame. She's in that something. frame that she attacked the pirate in like episode two. And uh, and what is Bronski's first action? He crashes the glider. <laughs> Bronski, pull up! You're too low! I can't pull up! Crosswinds are too strong! He's like, I, I can't pull up! And all I could think of was that he probably doesn't pull out either. Because he's Bronski and he can't do anything right. It went there so soon. Um, <laughs> Not school, baby! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got it. So they crash. Because literally the, they spend the first four minutes of this episode saying how easy this mission is. And then immediately, like 30 seconds into the mission, Bronski just crashes. They even say there are no Neo-Sapiens around. Like, it's that easy. Um, so then, what's he do? He pulls a sandwich out of his jacket. Starts noshing on that thing. Piece of cake. Stay alert, Bronski. You're right. Can't stay alert without nutrients. Never leave orbit without it. Nera goes to find out what happened to the uh, the resistance. She finds a crazy guy who's just like a dragon, a dragon, draconis. Ah, let me go. Ah! That guy's like that guy's like starving and crazy. Yeah, it's pretty great, and it's kind of it's kind of sad. But I'm like, she's a person. There's no reason for you to be a. Friend. The monsters literally look different. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, so she gets attacked by a bunch of E-frames. She does one of the most brutal things in the show and blows one of the uh, purple frames legs off while the guy's in it. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, they don't comment on it or linger on it too long. But I'm like that. She just fucking blew that guy's leg off. Cool. There's, there's a pretty baller move when the uh, the Neo's E-frame is chasing her and he like backhands a tree. <laughs> it's in his way and it goes down. Yeah, I, that's what I love is when they show kind of like how powerful the e-frames are every now and then because you kind of forget you know yeah because some because some, sometimes they break down trees and sometimes they just stun you a little bit yeah the reinhardt new law of lasers it's it's in effect every laser blast is one level below whatever it's designed to do <laughs> it's directly proportional to its narrative function yeah. Right. Yeah, right so she calls in the rest of the squad but before anything can really happen they get kidnapped and they literally basically just fly by and drop them into like a death march that has like millions of people and they're all going to this, like, work camp. Um, and during the Death March, we get our favorite thing, Neo-Sapiens overhearing people and just smacking them. Because it happens to her and Bronski maybe, like, 30 times. Which is great. She, she and Bronski, like, fail the Death March within two minutes. And everyone else has been going for, like, what seems like hundreds of miles. Yeah. And Bronski just ate a sandwich. Like, he is nourished. Like... Take off your coat. Yeah. There is a great moment in there where... Uh, where Nera like falls down like she can't go and they're like, you know, if, if she can't walk, kill her. And Bronski carries her. Man, I could 
I'd sure use a big gold glass of. Uh, oh. Hey, this is no time for a nap. Oh, Marcel. I knew you wouldn't leave me behind. Marcella, you've been out in the sun too long. If she cannot keep up, leave her. Uh, she's fine. Ain't you, Lieutenant? Come on, Lieutenant. We can't stop now. I'm just starting to lose some weight. It's the Bronski role. It's the older brother, which is kind of cool. But that's what I mean, kind of what I feel like it's been shorthanded. Yeah. Like, you, 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 it seems like there's a lot of stuff here and there could be a lot more time to, like, develop that relationship and to develop things. But it's sort of like they're out walking for two minutes. She falls down. Yeah. He picks her up. You know, I just I wish they had a little bit more time to do some of this stuff. Yeah. Like if this, they. Had, oh, sorry, Ryan, you go. Oh, sorry. This feels like something that could have been like a really good three to four episode arc. And they were like, we only have time for one episode. Like, yeah, seriously, because, you know, like you have their relationship. The squad is like super worried, but it seems like only like an hour has passed. You know, like they don't have anything else to do or, you know, they're like, well, they could be dead or missing. Well, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems like for like the rest of the squad, it's been in like an hour or, or a couple hours. And for them, it's, it's it's been like a week. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like in in that dichotomy it's sort of strange there is a bronski does have a great line about he's like oh come on sarge we can't stop now i just started to lose some weight and then <laughs> and then she does this great thing where uh she orders him to help someone else that fell down which i thought was like a really great character moment for her because it's like mm-hmm. if she falls she you know she's toast but she steps up and is like look other people need our help so that was really right. cool I- to give her something you know it was. I just I just wish they'd been going for a little bit longer because the fact that she collapses so quickly yeah. like makes her a weaker character than I think she should be. Yes, ex- exactly. Especially, you know, because later on she gets some moments where, you know, she makes some big choices that could end her life. And uh, this one's just like, yep, I'm tired. I need uh, need some peanut butter crackers and an and a apple juice, you know. <laughs> but... <laughs> She just gave blood. It's not her fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's like, damn, why did I donate all that blood? Um, we get a little bit of her and uh, Marsala backstory. We get a flashback to her describing a sun, the sunrise on Venus, which is her favorite thing to him. When I joined the Exo Fleet and left Venus, this is what I wanted to see. The stars from space. But now I give anything to watch the sunrise on Venus. The sun shines through the clouds and turns them a million different colors. A simple phenomenon of prismatic light refraction. I've... Shh. It's the birth of a new day. Full of hope and promise. She literally just goes, shh. And he's like, the party's downstairs. <laughs> and then that bass starts. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we actually... so For what we don't get in her and Bronski's relationship, we get in her and Marsala's relationship, but I feel like it's a refresher almost, you know, like we've already seen some of this stuff, but yeah, it's interesting that she projects it out on Bronski. Yeah. Um, who has no idea what she's talking about. Yeah. She's like, Sorry. I was fantasizing about someone else, but, uh, thanks for saving my life. <laughs> yeah. Also the guy who falls down, who's who Bronski helps gives this like, I'll put it in here. Gives this like super sexual, like <clears throat> when he goes down. And I just thought that was like the weirdest, 
uh, weirdest choice right there. <laughs> there. There is this kind of cool thing that I really liked, which was like Draconis's ship flies over them as they're walking towards um, their work camp. Yeah. And everyone knows it's him by like the shape of his ship, which I think is a pretty cool. Like he's got, you know, he's got such a unique design that everyone knows it's him. I yeah. It's cool. And, and it's a dra- it's got dragon on it too. Yeah, killer yeah. paint job. The uh, so this is where we get to like the meat of the episode because like the other stuff was okay, but they get to this Dragon's Rock uh, work camp where it they're being it's a concentration camp, and Draconis is building a secret base on Venus, and we learn a couple of really important things here that I want to point out because he has a conversation with his like underling. One. Uh, Draconis is using human labor because if he tried to like get the workforce out there, the Neosapien workforce, there'd be reports. And it turns out he's building this in secret because he wants to kind of do his own thing aside from Phaeton. So you're building up that like not all the Neosapiens are on the same wavelength. Uh, two, General Drusus, who in our last episode actually had a pretty good defense of his base, was executed by Phaeton for presumably using the Neomegas and getting one captured. So, you know, there's like, there's some high stakes here, but I love that it actually explains why it's lightly defended, um, that there's an internal politic scene in the Neosapien army and that the actions from the previous episodes are all going to like continue to have like ripples in the next ones. No, I'm with you. That's, I think, no, I think, I think that's a really cool. And I think that like the intrigue of it, like, what is what it, we don't really get to learn exactly what his plan is. I think that's awesome. Um, I think you're right about the description about how you said it was like, that's why it's slightly defended. I think that's really cool. Um, I also feel like I like the actor that does his voice. I feel like he's got a much more of like a competent thing going on than Typhonus did. Yeah. He doesn't sound like a cartoon villain. He sounds like someone. He sounds in control. Yeah. Which I, I really love. And the fact that everyone's terrified of him, like, Typhonus and Shiva are like almost caricatures, but this guy actually has some real malice and intent behind his action, which is like great. I, I, there's this cool thing I think that happens once in a while in like sci-fi fantasy, which is, you know, you think, you you know, you meet one person who's representative of a lot of different people, and you you don't you know you don't think they're very serious, and then you realize that 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 person doesn't represent the whole group, and that other I'm not, I don't know I can't think of another example, but it's like. Oh, like, um, you know, stormtroopers are kind of all goofy. And then you see like the really badass stormtroopers and you're like, oh, okay. Like they can be, they can be, <laughs> you know, like when you see like the emperor's guard and re- last in uh, return of the Jedi. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh, these guys seem really badass. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, like they're the ones that shoot, you know, and hit where they're aiming at and march in single file to conceal their numbers like sand people. Um, but yeah, it's, uh. It's really, like you said, it's really cool when you see different sides of something you're supposed to be very familiar with. Like at this point, we've had, you know, basically a full season of a a modern TV show. We're about, you know, 20-ish episodes. And we're learning something new here, which is great. You know, the ball's rolling. Uh, Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I like, no, the more things that are up in the air and the more like intrigue and double crossing, I think it broadens the scope of it in a really nice way and it kind of like makes it feel more real or more you know, the more dynamic and complicated it is we also get a, an awesome moment where uh draconis tells all the new people why they're there and 
he's disgusted the fact at the fact that they have to feed humans. And Bronski's stomach growls, which interrupts Draconis's speech. Then he's like, You have only one purpose here. To work. If you work, all will go well. If you do not... Easy, big fella. If you do not work, you will not leave the rock alive. Any questions? Uh, yeah, when do we eat? You eat when you are told. Half rations for everyone. Feed the vermin. And he, like, fucking pieces. Um, it's such a baller move. Um, but we found out that James is in the camp. And he is a freaking skeleton. Uh, what do you guys think when James showed up in this one? He was, I mean, <laughs> for Ryan. Um, yeah, he, he seemed a little different. He seemed like he didn't have his usual like outfit on. So I don't know. He didn't strike me as like totally emaciated, but like clearly there'd been some like weathering going on. Yeah. I, this is also another thing that we start here where we see some of these characters that we only encounter every now and then start to have like some more, some transformations you know, James is like the most notable one because, I mean, he's in the shit. But it's really cool to me to actually see that happening. Uh, again, things have ramifications, you know? Yeah, that, the mother and child from the first season, I think, are the most haunting examples. Of yeah, seriously. The, <laughs> of that uh, starvation. We get to this really cool um, moment, which I want to sort of stop and like dwell on for a minute, where... Basically, we cut back to the the main, you know, main force of Able Squad. And they're like, Marsha's like, we're not leaving anyone behind. Um, feeling that Noretti pressure. And Marsala makes a comment that he's like, By now, they could be almost anywhere on the planet. Oh, no, that's a great attitude. It is equally probable that they are no longer alive. We'll find them. We have to. I am simply pointing out probabilities. How can you be so calm about it? Don't you care? I do not express my feelings the way you do. That does not mean I feel less. Concern for friends is common to all humans, and we Neo-Sapiens are very much human. If Terrans had remembered that, perhaps this war would never have been fought. He feels emotions, but he doesn't express them in the same way as Takagi. You know, we had talked a little bit about the, the theme of humanity and what makes someone human. Like, what did the scene do for you guys? I thought it was interesting, and I think it, I think it's it's sort of more interesting if you extrapolate it out, because it is such a short it's a short moment in the show. Yeah, um, and the fact that like I think Neo Sapiens are this ever evolving mystery, and it's like, oh, he does have emotions, he just doesn't feel them in the same way, but he he does feel them, and he says it. So I think he says like Neo Sapiens are human. Yeah. Um, which, which is sort of like, um, I don't know. Like that, I think the dichotomy of what makes a Neo sapien, what makes a human are these things that it's sort of hard to pin down. Cause I don't know that they're clearly defined. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Does, does, does getting broadly emotional about things make you human and does, you know, acting coldly make you inhuman? Um, maybe, but I think that's too simple. Well, they, they talk, Marcella talks about how, you know, if the humans had realized that Neo-Sapiens don't express themselves the same way as humans, 
they probably wouldn't be in the situation that they're in, which I thought was a really biting comment um, where, you know, it's like, did they just assume because they weren't like sad and, you know, tearing at their clothes that they were happy? You know, it's it really it kind of goes back to that theme of like the inhumanity of humanity, which I think is ever present. And, you know, hopefully we don't like lose it too much. Um, but again, later on, we find that Draconis is building his base because he's kind of scared of the Neo Omegas, you know, so we, we find that that their inherent logic also kind of covers up an insecurity and a worry and, you know, a drive and ambition. It's kind of, it's an interesting look at the Neo Sapiens themselves as like functional beings, but maybe that's reading a little too into it. No, I think, I mean, I think it's well taken that, um, you know, cause it is so from the human's perspective, you don't really, that's what I mean about it. It's like not, it's, it's sort of a lot of it is inference, right. Into what the Neo sapiens are, or aren't, are they a, you know, they don't like, we had talked about how they don't have jokes and yeah. then they make it, then they make jokes every episode and you're like, wait, but you're not supposed to be creative and have humor, but you are. So that doesn't quite conform to our ideas about them. Um, and I think anytime you can see their vulnerabilities and insecurities, that's, that's really interesting. And I, and like, we know, we talked about their, their the way they dress and the way their ships are built are very alien or very foreign, um, to, to really other them. Yeah. And, um, I think when you actually see those similarities, it's, it's, it's a really good opportunity. Yeah, it's a really good opportunity for that. And I kind of wish, like I said, like a lot of things in this episode, I wish it, there was a little bit more to it, or it was like a, I don't know. Um, there's more of a moment of it or something. I don't know. A lot of the stuff in here kind of gets, you know, a lot of stuff gets rushed over. Like structurally we get, you know, like with Marsala and Nara, we get, you know, our open flashback this point, And at the end we tie it all together you know, we get moments like that, but we, again, we don't dwell on anything more or less in between or like but, that. What matters about it? Like it would have been cool if he like, if like nobody was there and he like grabbed him by the neck and pushed him up against the wall, you know? Yeah. And then said like, you know, listen, I don't, I guess he wouldn't yell it at him, but you know what I mean? That it was more of, it was more of a moment instead of just like another sort of low key explanation of Neo sapien behavior. We have a routine for it almost at this point where someone's going to say something awful and Marcel is going to take the high road. But it, it'd be nice if, A, his squad mates actually kind of... I mean, it's Takagi, so they use that character because he is the idiot and he's the hothead and the kid. But it'd be kind of nice if they had like that little more, you know? Like you said. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this thing, too, where it's like they don't really seem to know him. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of the problems, I'm sure, between the humans and the Neosapiens and the you know, to mirror our own world. Um, <laughs> the problems between people come from really not understanding each other and, um, you know, trying to limit someone's, you know, rights or their, um, their, you know, their freedoms or, or, or telling them to be something different without really getting to know them and, and what their interests are and who they are as, as people or, or you know, <laughs> so, and I, and I think that plays out in this show. Um, and I think the more it, does that I, the more I like the show better. Exactly. Uh, let me just kill the uh, 
the rest of the description here. Basically, you know, James, Nara, and Bronski start a coup. They it fails. They get put against the wall. Draconis has to gather an audience for the execution. And in that time, they had sent out a radio signal during the coup, uh, or the escape attempt, I should say. The Exo Squad rushes in. They blow up all the Neo Sapiens. They rescue everyone. The Resistance gets the gear they need. And we end with Nara and Marsala. We're leaving orbit. Is something the matter? I just wish the war would end and I could go home to stay. There's an interesting prismatic phenomenon occurring. Take a look. Sunrise on Venus. And the birth of a new day, full of hope and promise. Thanks, Marcella. You know, overall, what do you guys think of this episode? Like, I don't know, and compared to the episodes around it recently, do you think this is like a step up? Or are we kind of like treading water for something bigger? Um... So one thing that I one thing that I do think about this episode that's different is like the last couple of episodes have really been about have really focused on how different the Neo Sapiens are with like the Neo Megas and the um like just how like non-human the Neo Sapiens are. And like this one really is all about how human Marsala is. And I think that I like like the whole thing, right? Is like he doesn't understand what a sunset is, and then at the end he like understands what it means to Nara in like an emotional sense. Like I think, I think this is episode is much more about like how about not so much like how Neo sapiens and human beings are different, but like what it means to be human for like all kinds of humans. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I, 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 thought, I, I thought you were going to jump in real quick there. I was like, I'm like, shit, sorry. Sorry guys. <laughs> Drop the truth bomb. Oh. No, I was trying to think of something different to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's what. I think that's a good point. I think that it is the 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 big takeaway from this more than the sort of a plot is the sort of the fact that um, either because he loves Nara or because he's just trying, you know, Marcella is, you know, I think that's. I don't know that on first viewing I took that away from it, so I think so I think I take that pretty well that like he goes from thinking a sunset is just, you know, a literal event to seeing it as an abstract kind of more as a beautiful thing. And he sees it through Nara's eyes. Um, because he took them from her head. Yeah. And it, like, in a way they're like, so like their relationship is like, um, kind of what you'd think about the future of these two, um, races being, yeah, you know, as, and that and that's kind of the paradigm for it. And I think that it's so that that kind of whatever future is going to be left after the war kind of develops here a little bit. You can kind of see their their interrelationship, and then Takagi is sort of on one extreme of that, not getting it. Yeah, again, it's it's going back to uh, the Amanda Connor show. You know, she thinks it's one way, but really it's about like understanding a sunset that's going to be the future. So I think that's like, there's something kind of beautiful and great in that symbol. Um, and like they said, it's hope, it's a rebirth. Um, I would like to also bring it to the darker side of we're continuing our trend of things getting a little more serious and dire, like we're on a death march to a concentration camp. So there's that. Yep. Where they harvest rocks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. For it just seemed, rocks seem to be the thing that they are mining. Yeah. You know, so I think it it's kind of it's I, like I really like this episode. Um I think it was trying to do some stuff and trying to put some themes forward. Um I'm curious to see how it plays into the next episode. You know, how yeah. these trends will kind of continue or you know, does it play well or does is it's like more of a feel like a one off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and no, I mean I think the more serious darker episodes that actually either either parallel or connect to a, like a real historical event seem to be the ones that play better and and really compel the characters uh forward dramatically yeah um <laughs> i i i also like in the past couple episodes like with the jump troops and this episode like there's become there's like what recurring theme is like seeing it from the other person's side um, and I like the way that plays out, like with Bronski and the jump troops and like Takagi and Marsala, like change happens when not only when like you change happens when someone like, like, it's not always you convincing someone else to be wrong, someone else that you're right. But like, accepting that you might be wrong too. like Takagi says some Takagi is like wrong. And, like Bronski is wrong to pick on the jump troops and having them both kind of figured out is kind of. But do, do you guys do you guys like the show is as when it's kind of more dramatic, more serious, or when it's more like cartoony and, you know, a little, a little bit campier, a little bit more fun, a little bit more maybe adventurous. Or is it, do you guys like the balance of it between? I, I really like the, this is kind of a huge cop out, but, uh, I really like the balance. I think it strikes a really nice chord of like, like, there are times when it's super exciting and super fun and super, like, joyful. And there are times that it, like, asks, like, serious questions about human nature. And, like, I think they hit that balance very well. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, I mean, there's the World War II nerd in me that loves when, you know, you have giant tank maneuvers. And, you know, it's like, we're doing a, a pronged attack on this thing and all that <laughs> stuff. But, you know, like everything else... It, the setup and the payoff matter. Like the light moments feel better because there's so much dark and, you know, the dark moments feel darker because we're coming off of laughing. You know, we're like chuckling about Bronski hiding his sandwich in his jacket, uh, not caring that he almost died in a crash. And then we're like two seconds later on a death March, you know, and we're like, Oh shit, this got serious quick. So I think that it strikes a decent balance. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, no, I, I think it does because there's there's a the part of me that thinks like if it was just too serious, it it would just it would be too heavy, you know. And I I like seeing all the the chases in the battle, you know. And I think sometimes like shows like Game of Thrones become so heavy that it's like I'm glad they only make ten, <laughs> yeah, you know, because it's like it's just crushing. And I I really like and I and I kind of wish I don't know, like I I would almost wish to see it um the episodes be almost 40 minutes long because i think like they could expand upon some things in interesting ways and even like earn some more of the the humor and earn some more of the the drama of it but obviously we can't (laughs) redo that but you know know what i mean like i feel like it's like some of the times the goofy stuff is like too goofy and i think if you gave it more time you could you could make it fun and playful without being like 
without having to go right for that joke. Um, same with some of this stuff like the Death March. If we had a little bit more time, I think we'd get some more of it. Well, I find myself like in my head, thinking back to some of these episodes, adding in a lot of stuff. You know, like when the pirates were in the mess hall laughing about blowing up a fleet. I picture that that was like three scenes like that until someone snapped and there was a fight or something. Um, yeah. In reality, it's a 30 second scene where they make a quip, they get angry and, you know, they dump a tray or something like that. Um, so it, it it definitely feels like in this day and age, especially with, the, you know, how shows are, you love to see more of these moments kind of explored. But we haven't said in a long time. It's it's the uh, it's the nature of it being a children's cartoon in the end. Yeah, because like it's I, I think we've seen enough shows that are in the Exo Squad mold, like Battlestar Galactica and like Space Above and Beyond, and like even kind of Game of Thrones that are like marketed towards adults. That like it's easy for us to inject like what this would look like if it was a uh, if it was like an adult show, like an HBO miniseries. Part of, but I think part of the fun of being a kid, though, is like getting to play in your head in this world. So in a, in a way, I think if you're a kid, you can you it's fun to add in those things and not have them be there on the page for you. Yeah, I mean, or yeah, on the screen for you. Yeah, I I definitely remember like making my own extended stories with the Exo Squad toys. Like that was like part of the fun of like buying the toys of like the different characters. Like, oh yeah, you got to, like make your own. You got to like make your own stories. It was rad. Yeah, seriously. I mean, if, you know, I know I would have a daily on frame, you know, you'd be want to be that tech guy and all that stuff. Like, you know, it, you built that stuff in your head. Um, we're running a little long, so I'm going to say, who's your MVP, guys? Go for it, Ryan. Uh, I'm going to give it to Chris Ferentino oh, for hello. straight up nailing the <laughs> continuity thing. Hells yeah. Um, when Last week when Chris was like, I think this and the last episode take place concurrently. And then in the very first line, they're like, yeah, we're all back together after our separate missions. Like, dude, you nailed it, man. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Reading the text right there. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to give, I've got a kind of a hidden uh, MVP for this episode and it's, I'm going to give it to, oddly to JT. <laughs> nice. Because, because um, there's this point where, <laughs> they're trying to break out the stockpile of weapons at this base and uh, James says there's a stockpile of weapons in the base and JT doesn't go I know it was stolen from us <laughs> and it's Bronsky's fault he's totally cool he's like cool let's get the weapons he doesn't call out Bronsky I think that's a classy move no seriously I'm going to say mine is uh, Draconis because it's the first time that we kind of see you know you have Typhonus who's the fuck up you have Shiva who's like the big muscly general but Draconis is like, like we said, ruthless and, you know, practical. And he has his own like internal logic to him, which I really dig. Um, the fact that he's scared that they're going to be replaced, like the humans were replaced. They're going to get get replaced by Neo Omegas. Uh, I love that. And I think that without his paranoia and drive, we wouldn't have this horrifying situation of an episode. So... My boy Draconis in his pimp ship. <laughs> that ship is very pimp, though. I like that Bronski in the middle of all this. I think it was Bronski's just like, oh, we're in a death, death march, but nice pink job. So, <laughs> um, so I'm going to say real quick, 
let's do a quick plug. If you guys have any plugs. Two Loopy Ladies on Etsy for all your crocheting needs. 25films.com for any videography or filmmaking needs you might have. 25. <laughs> um, buy my book on Amazon, Necropolis, by Chris Ferentino. You see, now I feel like a slacker, man. Like, hey, you need you need audio engineering stuff? Go to my website, chrismastalone.com. They pay you for that? No. Hey, you want to hang out with Ryan? Uh, <laughs> give me a call myself. <laughs> <laughs> we could like, play some Xbox something. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so I put out a call for a Q&A on the old Twitters. Um, and I have two questions. The first question comes from Twitter user Gee, And it says, now that we've met the Jump Troops... I would be curious, what other parts of the EXO universe would you like a spinoff of? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I always have a, a weakness for, like, the dudes on the bridge. Like, the guys who, like, who, like, who, like, tell Winfield, like, what direction they're going. Like, I, I think, I think, like, the politics of, like, a bridge crew, like, has some interesting, like, office comp, office drama, like, office comedy like slash military <laughs> implications that I think could be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I think I would be a fraud if I didn't say the um, backstage announcing Stentor in Los Angeles. Like I'd love to see like a Stentor like single LA show oh. where he's trying to like make a career, find love. <laughs> um, you know, he's got a crappy Neo Mega agent. <laughs> Can I just say that Josh's response to the thing was obviously Studio 60 centered around Stentor? Oh my god, I didn't know that. <laughs> I would watch the hell out of that. Like, depraved Stentor-focused, like, drama series? Yeah. All good call, Josh. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. I'm Stentor, and I'm doing all the cocaine. <laughs> there are a billion stars in the galaxy, but only one line going up my nose. Hi, I'm Stentor. <laughs> Um, I would say mine would be an A-Team style uh, show following the Earth Resistance with Tanaka and all that crew. Uh, just riding in like an Exo van, just fucking being like Red Dawn all up in like Chicago. Yeah, I would I would like to see what like the day to day of the Resistance looks like more. I think that would be really cool. There's a little bit of me that thinks it's just them sitting around all day until the Exo fleet's going to come and they're like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> They do get a little uppity when the Exo Fleet visits. Um, I, I had also recommended that the the show should be uh, Phaeton and Marsala the high school years, which uh, sure. Twitter user Monk of War says was spent in a Martian mine or a construction site. So probably not the most interesting show. <laughs> yeah, way to, way to just like ruin that. Yeah, too real, man. Too real. <laughs> but but awesome, just super awesome. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you writing in, but yeah. So and the, it would just be them being beaten. Oh, you, oh, yeah. This is just real quick. Remember, there was an episode very early on where like Phaeton and Olivia are like at the back of a limo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see like that, whatever that story is, that like noir. Yeah. Uh, street street level story is. Yeah. Or yeah, because they're going they're going somewhere like fancy. Yeah. Yeah. They're gonna rip lines with Stentor. That's where they're going. I'd like to see like a, like like a detective drama set in like a world with Neo Sapiens and humans. I would I would watch the hell out of like a West Wing style show with Phaeton and his staff. That would be wild. 
It's like every third That's, episode of General gets vaporized. It's vaporized with an incredibly elaborate laser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Undersecretary of the Interior Draconius. Hello. But the other <laughs> the other question was sort of like looking at Dragon's Rock as a demonstration of Phaeton's manpower shortage. Uh, now, the question asks, and this is from uh, John C. Farrier, uh, sort of elaborating on it, do you think that's what kind of ultimately leads to the downfall of the Neo-Sapiens? Or, like, my view is it's Phaeton's insanity, you know, and his reliance on, like, man monsters. But yeah, that's just me. There's... I read this cool thing once about like totalitarian regimes and like one of the things they bring up that I always think is really interesting is the like part of like what always brings down a totalitarian regime is that you can't have independent like outside the box thinkers like working in it because they'll like rebel and like won't go with it. So like I always thought that part of the problem was Phaeton needed people who were so short sighted as to believe that Phaeton's way was right. And those people tend to be like idiots like. Like like Typhonus and Draconis, who are like not, they're not as good as Winfield, right? Like they're just not. Yeah. Well, the same user points out that you know, if you hadn't had a Phaeton rise up, you probably in a few years would have had like, you know, a group of intelligent like like your Marsalas who aren't like totalitarian, like the outside the box thinkers and your Thraxes and whatnot, that would probably have helped things along, but. We're stuck with Phaeton. Yeah, that's, actually, uh, that's a really good point. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, guys. But you know, like, like, you know, yeah, like Hitler lost war. I mean, despite the fact that Germans probably had like a little better equipment and maybe even like some better training, like they lost because of numbers and they lost because Hitler started to like not, you know, wasn't a great commander and didn't listen to his you know, battlefield commanders in a lot of ways. So I, I assume, I assume it's, that's the sort of the same thing is him getting, going crazy. And then just a, a numbers game. Oh yeah. Um, well guys, Oh, oh sorry. before we go, before we go, I want to say one more thing. Um, my grandfather was a world war two veteran. And one of the things, whenever he talked about the military was he's like, don't volunteer. Don't volunteer for anything. Anytime they ask you to volunteer, don't do it. And like, there's that whole thing in the beginning of this episode with Bronski like accidentally volunteering and no one wanted to do it. That like feels very authentic, authentic to me about like soldier, like conscripted soldiers in a war. And I think that's hmm. a cool thing. Yeah. Nice. And it's also probably why Bronski's lived so long because they obviously yeah. keep trying to kill him, but he's just like, <laughs> not this time. Got my space sandwich. He's like only capable of being of of being like competent when his life's on the line. But during those like five minutes, he's just like the best pilot in the fleet. Like, yeah, he literally picks up like a space 50 cal, blows the legs off of an Eosapian E-frame, jumps in that E-frame and takes it to space. Yeah, I, I we did. We did get we did get on Bronski's case a little bit this episode. Like he does go ham a couple times. Like <laughs> he is a savage. Like, yeah, he does also drop a boulder on a giant like floating gun platform. Um, yeah, he kills pretty ruthlessly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on that note, yep. I would like to thank Eric Calderon for our intro and outro music. You can find this stuff at 331 E-Rock on, on the YouTubes. Uh, his stuff shreds 
Uh, we come out with a new episode every Saturday, except the last one because it was a holiday. So deal with it. Yeah, for backs. <laughs> <laughs> the next episode we're covering is episode nine, Inner Dark, which Google describes as JT March and the Exo Squad battle a renegade pirate faction on chaos. So we're going to get to see some of that their chaos stuff, um, which I'm excited for. Do you guys have any parting thoughts? No. Yeah, no, I'm good. Cool. Um, write a review. Yeah, no, yes, write a review. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, what do you love you? Yeah. Not, <laughs> I mean, it's more of a like situation at this point, but we really, really like you. Yeah. yeah. If you, I mean, if like, you each tell like seven them. friends and they each tell seven friends and so on and so forth, we'll really like you. Yeah. Like, like, like some sort of pyramid. Um, but yeah. So for Exo Squad goals, I am Chris Mastalone. I'm Ryan Hardy. I'm Chris Ferentino. And are there any heroes in this company? No, sir. sir. Yeah. We out. start recording we're missing out we're missing out on some money material right yeah now. This, this is gold and totally related to exosquad well actually kind of because bronski's a drunk yeah uh-huh. no and re- and chris you fucking nailed it this does this the last episode does occur at the same time as the ep- other episode because they meet up right and, and, J- and jt is like yeah i was serious you nailed it man yeah dude fucking good observation like you uh you d- I feel now empowered to come up with more uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> I want to. I want to hear them all. <laughs> the Neo Sapiens are making the frogs gay. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> did, did Ryan just die for a second? I think for a so. second, yes. <laughs>